to the Pop Culture 5 Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Dove and Thomas Senna. We will be taking you through so many different interesting topics, all pop culture, and we're going to be breaking down what we feel are essential lists for every topic for every episode. Thomas, I'm so pumped, man. Yeah, no, me too. This is an exciting endeavor, Jeremy. I mean... You and I each have a, a podcast. I'm, uh, of course, with uh, Jamie Dew and Matt Ardill with the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. And you have your podcast with Jose Ruiz, Bigger Than the Game. We're fans of each other's podcasts, have been on each other's podcast. Yes. So, so yeah, this uh, this whole uh, partnering up for our own podcast uh, has been has been a, quite the fun thing, I think. Yeah, and we both kind of threw... Coming on each other's podcast, realize we love pop culture, pop culture history, all things pop culture. So we kind of were like, hey, why don't we do a podcast and we can really dive into pop culture like the way we want to and how much we love about it. So this is the Pop Culture 5 podcast. And, you know, we always see things with best or your favorite, which we love those lists. Those are great. But we decided we're going to do something a little different where... We're going to look at five essentials. So whether it's a TV show and its episodes, a singer and its songs, an actor and its movies, whatever the topic, we're looking at those five essential topics and for our list. Yeah, I think it allows for more, it's more a little more subjective. I think when you get into best, it's like, it's, it might not be something that, I mean, I mean, a lot of best lists are pretty similar. I think essential allows for a little more freedom, a little more creativity, a little more just what do I think, what do we think is something that needs to be recognized in any given category. And we have our own interpretation of that. We have our own reasoning for that. So I'm just excited with today's episode to get into that. And we've, we've just been having such a good time coming up with what to talk about to present to you all what we're interested in like as as individuals and our common interests between Jeremy and I so this has just been such a cool en- endeavor and uh yeah welcome to the Tom Hanks episode of right. the <laughs> of the pop culture 5 this is a fun one yes yes so for me Tom Hanks is just we know he's an icon but i felt like because I picked this topic, I felt like Tom Hanks is just, he's Americana. He's apple pie. He's something, you know, someone once told me this, they gave me this quote, and I don't know how true it is, but they were like, Jeremy, no person is completely universal. And I was like, wow, okay. But I will say there are some people who are close when it comes to universal. Mm -hmm. And I think Tom Hanks is one of those guys where I'm like, he's just so likable so just he can connect to the everyman and everyone just knows a Tom Hanks movie that I'm just like, you know what? He's probably someone who's close where I feel like any group, no matter age, where you're from, you're just like, I like that guy. I, I like I feel good when I see him on the screen. And he's had such a great career over these past. It's going on like 40 years, Thomas, that it was wow. like, man, there's a lot of films that we can discuss when it comes to the great Tom Hanks. Yeah, I I think even even if someone doesn't lo- absolutely love Tom Hanks or he doesn't resonate as much with someone, I think you won't find really anybody or many people who who actively dislike Tom Hanks. I mean, can you imagine if you're sitting in 
uh, at a party or uh, somewhere at a bar with a group of people. And then you just kind of casually bring up like, hey, you guys, you know who I don't like? It's Tom Hanks. Like, I think, you know, like, I think you would get this reaction like, like, man, what the hell are you talking about? Tom, you don't, you don't like Tom Hanks. Like, why would you, why would be, why would somebody be motivated to start saying negative things about Tom Hanks? You'd have to question that person. I mean, you could be ambivalent about Tom Hanks to a certain extent, but to say, I don't like Tom Hanks at all. He rubs me the wrong way. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't see it. There's certain people like that. Dolly Parton's another one, too. Where right. I think just like the approval rating is just sky high. No, I think Tom, if someone said that at like a party, that's where like that scene in TV shows and movies where like the record stops. Er, you Absolutely. don't, you just say you don't like Tom Hanks and everyone and it's like, uh oh, we got to get you out of here. Like, uh, it's about to get ugly. Like, you know, you, it's because there's like you said, there's no reason. It's like you don't have to be the biggest movie fan. Even if you, you know, that's how you know he's iconic. If you're not someone who loves pop culture, you know Tom Hanks, and you can name at least a couple of his movies. He's America's uncle, you know? Yeah, yeah. and this watch, this will be the kiss of death because like a week after we, we release this episode, <laughs> something that's, it won't age well or something's going to happen. I don't know. I don't want to put uh, that negative, <laughs> negative stuff out there, but I don't know. Well, I, I'm confident that our opinions right now uh, will age gracefully <laughs> yes. regarding Tom yes. Hanks. Well, you know, remember um, when COVID first hit and it started when it broke and everyone and one of the big things was when Tom Hanks and his wife Rita were like they they tested positive for COVID and everyone was like, oh no, it got Tom. Like that's how serious it was. Like, are we going to lose Tom? Like, we can't. What are we going to do? And that was one of like the first early signs of like, uh oh, COVID. It was like. It's taking down Tom, not Tom Hanks. Like, yeah. it's just like he's, yeah, he's he's on he's on a short list of if some scandal ever came out, I feel like America would be in like a national mourning. Like we'd just be like, oh. even Tom Hanks went down. It, it would just be. Terrible. I can't trust anything now. Yeah, if, <laughs> if, if, if Tom did this or if Tom got in trouble, like I can't. I just can't trust anything now. So it's like. Well, what is real anymore, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you mentioned, Jeremy, you mentioned that uh, that it's been about 40 years since his movie career uh, started because he was on Bosom Buddies and stuff. He had done some TV before he became like a big, serious uh, movie star. Uh, so it's probably been almost 40 years since he really delved into his movie career. So I'm curious, I mean, without tipping your hand as far as what movies that you might pick for for right. this for this exercise for the the five essential Tom Hanks movies without tipping your hand too much like what's your relationship as a viewer with Tom Hanks and his work right and it'll be tough I'll save more detail for once we mm-hmm. get into the the list but there's certain people in I guess in celebrity who if I can go back in time to my earliest memories I always knew who they were and Tom Hanks is one of those few on that list where, and that's like Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson. Like it's a small list of people. I'm like, I always knew that person. And Tom Hanks was just, you know, for me growing up in the nineties as a kid, he was everywhere. And I I feel like there's that elite group of, especially coming from the last 40 years. Like you look at him, Julia Roberts, they were just like, you know, Tom Cruise, Denzel, they are like the names of like the biggest actors from that like era. And Tom Hanks was everywhere. And, you know, even with 
certain movies. You said some catchphrases. Even as a young kid, before I saw these movies, I knew certain things. I knew catchphrases or certain iconic scenes or memories in pop culture. I knew them about Tom Hanks before actually watching the entire film. And I think that says something to how just iconic he is, but how much he's really you know, ingrained himself in pop culture that before you saw the movie, you knew certain lines, you knew certain things that were like, oh, yeah, I knew that from Tom Hanks. I became familiar as a kid with Tom Hanks, the comedian, the comedic actor, Tom mm. Hanks, really. And that's how I knew him. And I was I was of the age where once he started doing those more serious movies, like in the early 90s, I was 10, 11. So I was aware of his shift from comedic actor to more dramatic, serious actor with some comedic elements. So it was interesting to me to see the goofy guy in some of these comedies that I love morph into what we know as him as today. And I also knew him as a great SNL host. And he, of course, yes. you know, both of us are huge SNL fans. Uh, that's essentially how we came in contact with one another. Right. And for my money, Hanks is the uh, greatest of all time SNL host, honestly. Wow. Like, statement. Yeah, it's that short list. It's Hanks, Steve Martin, Alec Baldwin. Uh, there's John a few Goodman. guys. John Goodman could be up there. But like, I think just for quality, quality and quantity, I think for my money, Hanks is the greatest of all time SNL host. And that's those comedic chops in a lot of ways showing through. So I knew Hanks is the comedian, the funny man. And yeah. little did I know he had like so much more uh in his in his repertoire. No, exactly. And I think listening to an a, a Tom Hanks was on the Bill Simmons podcast about a few years ago and hearing him talk about in the early eighties, you have like him and Michael Keaton who were these comedic you know, Michael Keaton actually did do stand up for a while. And there were these guys who were like going after these like kind of funny comedic roles. And Michael Keaton, for a little while, you could say was ahead of Tom Hanks with like Mr. Mom. And then he had Batman, you know, blow up later on. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice and mm -hmm. all. And then so they were kind of like competing. And then all of a sudden and then doing the same thing, going from comedic to more serious. But then when you get into the early 90s, Tom Hanks just takes off and. And, you know, Michael Keaton's had a really good career and a good resurgence, but, hmm. you know, it's it kind of shows you, like, it's not where you start, it's where you, you finish, because Tom really ascended and really surpassed. Honestly, it's hard to kind of find any actor of any era who Tom Hanks hasn't really surpassed as far as box office draw, iconic moments, and just overall appeal. Yeah, he's part of that short list of maybe potential greatest actors of all time. Like when you yes. account for box office popularity, when you account for talent, uh, you count for all these things. It's a big crazy stew of what we look for in this. Tom, Tom Hanks is on that short list of just famous Hollywood actors. Great, amazing Hollywood actors. Definitely. Would you say using some Bill Simmons terminology, shout out to, to Bill. Shout out to Bill. <laughs> Would you say that like Hanks possibly market uh, market corrected <laughs> my Michael Keaton and a lot of other people probably? Yeah, I I think that's a good term. Yeah, uh, I think he for sure market corrected and, and got it. Um, and it's weird because if you look at those old Keaton movies, Keaton was really good too. Like Beetlejuice, Mister Mom. For a lot of people, he is Batman. 
So like Keaton, it, he, you know, that was a good competition for a little while, but now I think, yeah, Tom Hanks definitely, as Bill Simmons likes to say, he market corrected and kind of set that tone. I feel for, um, for this newer generation, for that balance of comedic ability with the serious dramatic ability as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for all these reasons why I'm so excited to do this episode with you and I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to your choices, Jeremy, as far as what essential Tom Hanks movies that you picked, you know, no, same. I, yeah, yeah. I, I know we're both big yours. fans, but I mean, yeah, Hanks has done enough to where our list could be vastly different. They could be very similar, but they could be, I don't know, they could be vastly different. So we could both be huge fans and still be huge fans for different reasons. So so uh, this will be really good. And I think that's what's going to be great about this podcast and the episodes we choose is that you in the topics is that you'll see like we both have a passion and love this topic that we're talking about, but can have such a different feeling on it and feel what is truly essential to it. So Thomas, I'm, I'm so pumped to get into the list, but I guess we'll let the people listening. We'll break down what the rules are because we have it. It's going to be a little bit different for people where there's going to be five. That's why it's the pop culture five and the host for that week. So this week it's me and we're going to rotate uh, this week. It's me. One week will be Thomas. The host will get three of the five, but the co-host will have two, but has the right to veto one if he disagrees with the host. So it kind of evens it out here where the host gets three, but the co-host gets two and also has a little veto power. And we'll see uh, how nice we are as far as exercising that veto power. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to have to be super egregious or if it's just going to be... You know, we'll we'll see. We'll we'll see if and when we choose to exercise that veto power. But that balances out out the uh, the power there, since you know, like you said, Jeremy, the host has three choices, and the uh, the co-host, <laughs> second in command for that week, has two choices. So uh, so that yeah, that'll be interesting to see see which one of us is the most mean as far as vetoes. <laughs> right, right, and and for people listening, just so they know when we pick this list the essential that's what we're going by but it doesn't mean that what you think is the best or what your favorite doesn't overlap with it so you could be looking at the essential and your favorite tom hanks movie is you think an essential one like so they can overlap but just so people remember we're not going by what we think are the best or what we think are like the favorite tom hanks it's the essential so i look at it as if you have a stranger who never heard about Tom Hanks and you got to tell them these are the five movies that pretty much describe or define Tom Hanks career, his legacy, his greatness, or an alien from Mars came down and we're trying to explain Tom Hanks as a movie star to him. You got five choices. Which ones are they? Yeah, that's that's uh, very well put. I like that explanation of if you're telling somebody who's never heard of Tom Hanks introduce that person to me i'd like to meet that person but yeah <laughs> <laughs> if i'm meeting somebody who's never heard of tom hanks what uh, what do i think should be one of the essential movies that that person should know that's a good way to look at it not not necessarily my favorites or what i think is the best but just yeah just the essentials so th- i think that that's a really uh gonna allow for some fun conversation a little different perspective and Jeremy, i'm excited mr tom hanks yes 
So this is choice number one. And for me, I guess we'll see how it goes depending on what Thomas's answers are and all that. But I'm, I'm going to go by chronological. So like just what came first, you know, in Tom Hanks's career. So for choice number one, I got to go to this movie that I feel put him really on the map and established him as a box office draw, established him as the guy who can really do it all, give you the comedic chops and the dramatic chops. Susan, I'm not what you think I am. What do you mean? Before I met you, I was in Little League. Um, I was in Little League and I rode my bike to school and I played with my friends and hung out with them and- Josh. What what are you what are you talking about? I want to go home. I miss my family, Susan, and I want to go home. I'm going with Big as my first choice, Thomas, for Tom Hanks' essential movie list. I Big came out in 1988. It was Tom's first Oscar nomination, and I will say this. I think a lot of times we kind of downplay because there's been movies where you have like the Freaky Friday kind of thing where the kid goes into the adult body. But seeing how Tom did it in Big and him playing that character, Josh, going from 13 to an adult, you got to say like how impressive and the range he really showed in that performance was. And I think also how iconic was it where we see that scene and for so many people they knew fao schwartz that big giant piano and playing chopsticks and and you know heart and soul and how many people i knew who went to new york and were like we had to see the big piano and they step on the keys and they're playing that that you know that iconic scene and that is really an iconic i i didn't know fao schwartz as a big toy store until I saw Big, and then everybody I knew, that pretty much became the, the big giant piano place, you know, because we all saw Big in that classic scene where, uh, where Tom Hanks, you know, as Josh, and he's with the, the vice president or the owner of the toy store, and they're together stepping on the keys and playing those songs. Like, I, I knew those songs, honestly, from Big, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, you know, hearing those songs, so... For me, I think the start of Tom Hanks' mania and him becoming a cultural icon is big. Deremy, you did me such a huge favor, I want to let you know, because I was debating between Big and another movie, and I was just going to kind of see, I was wondering if you were going to choose one of those movies, so it could kind of, you can do me a favor by like just making it not an option for me. So, oh, okay. so big was gonna was was I whittled it down, and big was gonna be one of my choices. I haven't uh, going into these episodes. I'm not really making hard decisions until like uh, I'm making final decisions as we talk through this stuff. Okay, I think, but I have a short list, and Same. big was definitely on that short list for a lot of the reasons you said to me. It was it's like a perfect balance of comedy and heart, mm-hmm. and I think. With Hanks, we saw that you know, we saw a lot of his slapstick uh, nature. Like we said, it was starting with Bosom Buddies, and then a lot of his movies were just super funny, but it was almost like just very outlandish and slapstick. But this one with Big, it struck such a the right tone 
of like comedy and heart. And yeah, Hanks flashing his acting chops by inhabiting a teenage boy persona. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned it was his first Oscar nomination. Dustin Hoffman won that year for Rain Man, mm-hmm. uh, which I think it was deserved. I, I would have given it to Hoffman Same. as well. Uh, for sure. Edward James almost in Stand and Deliver. Gene Hackman uh, as well got nominated. Max von, uh, von Zido. So, um, it's a stacked lineup. Stacked lineup. Uh, I don't blame the Academy for not awarding Hanks the Oscar this time around. But he did flash those acting chops. He had a method. He actually observed the mannerisms of David Moscow, who played young Josh. Hanks was observing his mannerisms and trying to replicate that and put that into his performance so he he, you know he thought a lot about his craft then and he was just such the perfect person to play that role i mean i don't know if you know who the original josh was going to be before before that person backed out who was it It it's gonna be robert de niro which would have been terrible it would have been different yeah i mean it wouldn't have been the same movie even elizabeth perkins uh who plays susan in the movie she said that the De, the De Niro version would have been darker, and hell yeah, it would have been darker. Yeah, I I just can't see it. I right. can't see it with anybody else. Like even a Michael Keaton, I think the closest would be kind of like a Matthew Broderick, you know, in a way. Mm-hmm. But I I don't think he can nail it quite the way Tom Hanks could have. And there's certain scenes like it just he brought an innocence to it. But like it was kind of surprised because like he he looks young, but like you know he's like he's in his like twenties though you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So it's not so far off where it's like I think De Niro at that point it just that would have been a really bad choice. Yeah, it w- it would have just been such a different. Yeah, maybe we would have liked the movie because we wouldn't have had anything to compare it to. <laughs> yeah. So it would have like the movie Big with Robert De Niro would have just been some dark movie. And we wouldn't have known what could have been, you know right. what I'm saying? But I know I agree with you. I mean, it's hard to imagine anybody else other than Hanks doing this role. And I mean, before we get into scenes, because I kind of wanted to ask you about your favorite scenes, but I think a lot of a big theme, I think of a lot, a lot of these movies that I whittled it down to was how it made me feel then when I watched first watched it as a child and how I feel now about watching it. So with big then it made me a little afraid of adulthood, but optimistic that I could succeed in adulthood. And I think that was conveyed in Hank's performance. Like things were scary when he got to the city, right? Right. That's like, a good way to put it. Yeah. He was scared. He was in the hotel room. He was, he didn't know what he was doing at, at his job. He didn't know uh, a lot about what it took to be an adult at all. Why would he? And then. Slowly but surely, he's starting to succeed. He's moving up at his job. He has an apartment. So it made me as a kid feel like, man, adulthood's kind of scary. But also, I think I could succeed in being an adult because Mm. I'm watching Josh uh, here as an adult, Tom Hanks, succeed. So, So that really resonated with me as a kid. And then now it makes me think of what it might be like to see the world with less cynical eyes. Yeah, that's I, I and so for me seeing it now, I totally agree. Like the less cynical for me as a kid though, because it, I was that classic, you know. Hey, I don't, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I don't, you know. I love it when I get older and I can do what I want. And then it's like seeing Tom Hank, you know, as Josh, a thirteen-year-old. It's like, wouldn't that be so cool if you had your own place? And you know, as a kid, you're like sleepovers every night. You know, everyone could just come over and it's like, 
I'm going to order Domino's or Papa John's pizza every night for dinner. I can do that. Like, it kind of made it be like, man. But, you know, you're not thinking about, like, as a kid watching it, oh, as you get older, you know, you're going to mature and responsibilities. Does that you're fit just, into the budget now? Right. Does that Domino's? Are we yeah, sure? Exactly. I, I mean, I had pizza yesterday. I don't know. I should have a salad tonight. Like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You know? Exactly. Oh, I got to exercise or I'm ordering out every night here. And it's like, oh, I got people coming over and. The landlord's like, you got a lot of people coming over here. Like, I, you know, I, you're not thinking that as a kid. It's just like, as a kid, having my own place would be so cool and no rules. So that's where I was at as a youngster. I just thought, man, that wouldn't that be awesome to still be me, but then I can do what I want. You have more resources. Yes. Right. You yes. can have that big old trampoline and use it <laughs> use yeah. it wherever you want. And when you're an adult, that trampoline turns into like a de facto storage unit. <laughs> I, I'll, ultimately right i'll tell you exactly exactly and you're so right and the one scene that did make me nervous but it's still funny is when and i'm gonna for, i guess elizabeth perk when she's want like you know spend the night and he's mm-hmm. like oh a sleepover and, you know yeah. and then it's like she's doing like, the lights she turned the lights off off and he's turning them back on and everything yeah. and that was kind of like oh yeah what would that that would be i don't really as a kid i was like that I, i'll be nervous like oh, man, like 100 percent like girls sleeping over, like you know, as you know, boys rule, girls drool. We don't need any of that here. So yeah. that was the only part that was like, what would I do? Like if I was in his shoes, like she doesn't know that he's thirteen. He looks like an adult, so you can't blame her. And then you know, and then like they're sharing the bunk bed, like you know, like that. There's <laughs> just so many funny scenes like that that I'm like, that's what. I, as a kid, I'm like, that's what I would do. Yeah, she gets the bottom bunk. Yeah, and I don't think when she first suggested a sleepover that his mind was even going there. <laughs> like, he just thought, cool, I have a friend who's coming over, and he, he even yells, like, I get to be on top, which he meant the bunk bed. Yeah. Obviously, it was a little obvious, obvious double entendre, <laughs> but, like, like yeah, he, his mind as a 13-year-old, as a with a 13-year-old brain, wasn't even necessarily going there, and I, I would have been nervous, too. <laughs> yeah. As a 13-year-old, if an, yeah, if an adult woman who didn't obviously didn't know that I was 13, yeah, I, I would have been nervous as well. And that gets into like a little, um, some people who watch it with, I, I think with cynical eyes have accused the Elizabeth Perkins character of being predatory or things like that. But I don't know. I completely disagree yeah. with it. Like, I think that is part of adulthood and that, you know, that could like say in the fantasy world, if someone could, a 13-year-old could be in a grown man's body, that would happen. Like, you know what I mean? Because the, the, the person doesn't know. So then if she's trying to, you know, hey, you want to go on a date, her mindset is different. Or whoever's mind, they don't know they're with a 13-year-old. So I feel like, yeah, people are looking at it like cynical. Like, she wasn't being predatory. That's a grown man she's talking to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people are just trying to find something <laughs> to pick at. Uh, to, yeah. to pick at, yeah. So, what are your uh, what scenes kind of stand out to you from Big? For me, it, it's obviously I I got to go with the just the giant piano playing. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
that was something that stuck with, I feel like, a whole generation of people. Like, young people and older people alike who saw it in 88. And then for me, coming into the 90s, that wave, we all knew that. So that scene was really cool to me and just how they filmed it. I liked seeing him, honestly, in, like, the boardroom and him being just like, you know, it needs to be more, more. But, like, him kind of... And I think I like this scene a lot now where it's like it inspires like the board inspires the boss to be like, yeah, like his child like wander kind of like invigorates and his passion gets like people excited again. Th- those two scenes are always cool for me. And I like that. And then Is like that the course, I don't get it meeting. I, I still don't get it. What? What don't you get? Josh? Well, there's a million robots that turn into something. And this is a building that turns into a robot. What's fun about playing with a building? That's not any fun. This is a skyscraper. Well, couldn't it be like a, a, a robot that turns into into something like a like a bug or something? A bug. Yeah, like a big prehistoric insect with maybe like giant claws that could pick up a car and, and crush it like that. And then John yeah. Hurd's character is just so pissed off that like like you just say I don't get it, and then all of a sudden. You like get a promotion mm-hmm. or whatever, and, he, and, yeah, and that starts like, what, like the rivalry with the you characters. Get? Yeah, and then that rivalry happens. Like, what don't you get, Josh? And he's like, I don't. It's not fun. What's so fun about uh, about a building that turns into? Yeah, like uh, he he was just nitpicking at the toy because he was seeing it obviously through like a, a child's eyes, pretty much. Yeah, I think one that sticks out uh, is is earlier in the movie when uh, Josh's mom freaks out and Josh runs away, like Tom Hanks when he co- goes back and she's trying to convince his mom that he is Josh and Josh's mom. Like, I think she pulls a knife on him at one point mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she yells yeah, and yep. he gets scared and runs off. But that was so like, you could see him. He was scared. And where did he go? He wanted to go back to his mom. Right. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. uh, that, that was his first instinct. And just to see the, it was, it was, it was played for laughs too. I mean, he did some funny stuff, but that was really one of the first times where I think his range as an actor came right. out he played scared he played he was able to plead with his mom do some funny stuff in that scene but he conveyed conveyed a different tone than we were used to at that time from tom hanks mom it's me it's josh mom i'm not growing Stop it. Mom. i made a wish last night i turned into a grown-up mom i made this wish on the machine and it turned me into a grown-up it was last night at the carnival my birthday is november 3rd mom i gotta be in my history test I made this for you. Who are you calling? Ah! I have a birthmark behind my left knee. You bastard. What did you do to my son? I am your son, Mom. Where is my child? Where is my son? That was uh, kind of an intense scene played for laughs. It had some heart. It was a wonderful scene. Aside from the ones that you mentioned, I know that I was was definitely... uh, disappointed uh, as I started getting older that there weren't just walking pianos everywhere that you yes, went. Yes, like, <laughs> I think I've only seen one in my life and it was same. possibly in New York at that same store. But That's where I saw it too. Yeah. That's where seen, I saw it. I thought they were just going to be everywhere. I was going to play Heart and Soul and Chopsticks and <laughs> until my heart's content. 
but oh well. <laughs> so, so let me add this big past the veto, like no veto on big. No veto on big, like okay. flying colors. You actually did me a favor because I was like, man, big. And then this uh, another movie, I was like, oh, which one? Which am I going to choose? And I was kind of hopefully, I was like, hopefully, Jeremy maybe chooses big or or this other movie because that would make my job a lot easier on this yes. episode. So okay. no big flying colors. That's just a, a love, love, love that movie. All right. So I guess we're ready for choice number two and this will be your choice, Thomas. So I'm, I'm excited. Can't wait for it. All right. Yeah, this is my choice. So, so big was the first choice. Big's the first essential Tom Hanks movie. I went a different direction. I'm not going chronologically. I'm playing more of a, I guess I have a strategy okay. uh, going on. And I think I already kind of revealed it. I'm like, I'm going to kind of wait, see what Jeremy picks yeah. and kind of dictate that'll might dictate what I choose. I'm going with the movie that he carried pretty much most of the movie. This was one of those performances where like you could say an actor did some super heavy lifting and just carried this movie and was compelling the entire time that he carried this movie. And I'm sure you know what movie I'm talking about. It came out in 2000. (laughs) Robert Zemeckis directed it. It's Castaway. So I don't know if Castaway would be in one of my five favorite Tom Hanks movies, but I think it's essential because you're watching Tom Hanks cook. And like you're watching him just... He's given the the reins to most of the movie and you're, you're watching him just like we had mentioned, just showing a, a range of emotions as an actor and showing everything in his toolbox. This is another example. It's a great balance of comedy, drama, desperation. He was so good. He made me care about a volleyball with a yeah. face painted on it. Like Tom is he's just so compelling to watch on screen. And he was nominated for Best Actor. I think he should have won. No, Russell Crowe won for Gladiator, which was fine. Like that movie, no problems with Russell Russell Crowe there. But I think Hank should have won for this because he was just doing so much heavy lifting in this movie. So, I don't know. Jeremy Castaway, what do you think? Now, I know I don't have any veto power for me. And I would not use a veto because this is one of the ones that for my short list, I was like... Am I crazy? Because it, I think for some, they might be like, oh, you have that as far as essential over some other ones. But Castaway, I think, is the great choice. It's, it's in the top five. For what you said, as far as him carrying it, I mean, I think the degree of difficulty of it's really one guy on a screen for, you know, two thirds of the movie, it's just like him and, like you said, and a volleyball. And just seeing this, like, you know, Survivor kind of thing. And this is, like, honestly, I, I feel like Survivor had just come out, the TV show. Yep. So, like, it kind of just fit with what, just seeing and what he was doing and to keep you interested. And it's not a lot of, he does talk to Wilson, but it's not a lot of, like, chatter either. It's not like like all this, di- a lot of times it's just seeing how he would react or seeing the certain scenes and it puts you in that place of what would I do if I survived that crash? What you said earlier about Tom Hanks, the one word that I think you'll see in every movie that we choose, and even those that we wind up being, you know, honorable mention, is heart. And Castaway to me is a hundred percent heart. And it's just heart and emotion, and it's just like you said, it has a little bit of comedy too. 
but man, it makes you care about a volleyball. <laughs> and man, do you not want to shed a tear when he loses Wilson oh, and he just tough. breaks down and it just it talks about it's honestly an inspirational movie too, about like never giving up, not quitting because when all things, you know, you're backed against the wall and it seems like, man, all hope is lost. It's about keeping that hope going. And I think Tom Hanks did a magnificent job. And I agree with you. I think he should have won Best Actor at the Academy Awards in 2000 for this. And this was a movie that just really stood in the culture for a long time. Yeah, and I was talking about you know how I viewed it the first time and then as opposed to how I view it now. So like back then, it was an adventure movie about a desperate survival situation, right. which it absolutely is. I mean, that's, you know, I think when this came out, I was 17 or 18. So actually, I was 18 when this came out. I was 12. 12, okay. So I just saw it as like this, uh, this survival movie. What is he going to do on this island? I was kind of focused on the island and how is he going to survive and you know, oh, that's cool. He learned, he finally learned how to open a coconut and he's an expert spearfisher. All of that kind of desert island stuff really appealed to me. Now it's the same as that. It is an adventure movie about a desperate survival situation that's, that's really entertaining. But now I'm married and the relationship dynamics mm-hmm. are really compelling to me as far as like I put myself in the position of both Hanks and Kelly. Mm-hmm. his girlfriend who who was played by Helen Hunt. Mm-hmm. I put myself in both of their situations. Like what would I do if I was him and I returned and she had a family and a yeah. kid? Like what would like Jeremy, like have you thought about that like watching Castaway? Like what yeah, what would you do if you were him? Well, Hanks? when that came out, that was the main question that mm-hmm. I would that people would talk about as far as in my group of my slow sample size was it was not more about what would Helen Hunt do, but it was more of like when Tom Hanks is found and rescued and he finds out she has, you know, she's married, has kids. Would you feel a little upset with her? Because it was like four years is the difference. So it's like, is that enough time? Like, so that was like a conversation and there's no right or wrong, but it's like, if you were, you know, Tom Hanks is, you know, his character, Chuck, if you were Chuck, would you be upset or a little disappointed or would you understand like, and kind of chalk it up to it? Uh, even that part where he goes to see her and then they have that, you know, impassionate kiss and everything. And it kind of was like, it, and it still does like lead me thinking that too. Like if I was in his shoes, I would like to think I would understand, but would there be a little part of me that would be like, damn, of course, like, should have been course. me. Yeah. You're disappointed. You get back. It's, he was four years. So he's gone for four years. They obviously presumed him dead. Of course. They had a funeral. He had a gravestone and everything. Yeah. And he comes back. Of course, he was disappointed. He he had to talk to her new husband. <laughs> Jeez. That was just a shock to him. And then... Awkward too. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And I think he did a good job of accepting it for the most part, especially after he and Helen Hunt talked. And it's hopeful, too, because I think that he does end up with that woman. Yeah, at the end of the movie. The yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he yeah. goes back and ends up with Patina, and it becomes like this hopeful sort of thing. So, yeah, if I was him, I think how I figured that I would react would be kind of the uh, the appropriate way. And my wife and I have had like discussions here and there about. I've even told her like if something, God forbid, happens to me, 
I told her, I want you to be happy. And if that means meeting somebody else and living your life, then do it. So yeah. I don't want you to like be alone and be, but it's up to you. Like you don't have to, but if you feel compelled to don't do it on, don't not do it on my account. You know, no, like, it, it, that's what we've talked about that before. Wow. Yeah. No, <laughs> no that, and that's, that's good though. That's, that's a good to have that conversation. And it's great to me. That's great art when it makes you have those conversations and makes you think about those things. Like, I remember even at the end, like, right, you know, that last scene and seeing him drive to deliver the package and feeling kind of dumb because I'm like, oh, yeah, if I was him, I wouldn't trust planes anymore either. No. Like, I'd be, you know, I'd be <laughs> driving too, like, no matter where it's at. Like, I'm not getting on a plane again. So being like, at first I was like, why is he driving? And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I, or, don't, I don't blame him. Or what are the odds that you're going to get in a second crash? Right, right. So maybe right. the odds are better, right? So you play yeah. the odds, but no, I'm with you. Like I probably wouldn't fly. Yeah, honestly. I'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, I'm after that. If I survive, I'm like, I am. I don't even want to look at a plane ever again. So it, it just does a great job, like I said earlier, of giving you that hope and making you be like, what would I do in that situation throughout the movie? Like you mm -hmm. said, on the island, do all the adventure, but then even at the relationship part, like, what would I do? I remember I had a friend who uh, kind of chastised Kelly for how she proceeded like uh, as far as, oh, she just got over him and got married. I'm like, well, yeah, like she's she was probably grieving and he and the, his friends and family grieved him and did that whole process and she moved on. And then so when he returned, it's almost like, well, I already am already had I already have this husband and a kid realistically she's not going to set all that aside at best she's gonna there's she's always gonna have love for him her husband has to accept that that there's mm -hmm. always gonna be some love there right, for him right. but she didn't do anything wrong i had a friend who insisted like oh helen hunt's terrible and i'm like no nah, i i think what she did was perfectly reasonable i agree with you i agree with you like yeah like you have to do what is best for you and your happiness and I think that's ultimately, if you care about somebody like that, that's what both people would want. So I, I'm with you. I disagree with your friend. I'm, I'm with you, <laughs> yeah. Thomas. Yeah. I'm with you. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, so as far as the just the memorable scenes go, like I have to start with that plane crash. I mean, there's a lot of good buildup leading to it. And we set the foundation of who he is, his relationship dynamics, and, and everything like that. That The, the package, uh, Bettina's side of it or whatever. Um, but that plane crash is when this thing kicks into gear. And I don't know, as far as plane crashes on screen, that one, thankfully, I've never, I don't really know what that situation looks like in real life. But that was like, seemed like a depiction of just it felt real. It felt Absolutely. super real. And for those, this is pre the, the TV show Lost. So like the, the pilot of Lost has a big epic plane crash that was like, wow. But I agree with you, Castaways, when that was done was like really intense and it kind of gives you especially i remember seeing this in the theater so you're in a theater and you're kind of like holding on to your seat like whoa 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 you know it kind of gives you that up that intensity mm -hmm. and then it kind of like when he lands it kind of like drops but i think the scene that sticks you know to me is is when he buries the one i guess the pilot and kind of has that like little memorial for him and i thought like that just hits home Knowing like, hey, that guy's family is not going to be able to get his body back, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to do right by him and kind of like, you know, we went through this ordeal together. 
I think that scene stuck out to me. And obviously when, uh, when he loses Wilson. Wilson! Wilson! I'm sorry! I'm sorry, Wilson! Wilson, I'm sorry! I'm sorry! Wilson! I can't! Wilson! And Wilson, the volleyball just floats away. And honestly, I still can't get out my mind hearing those cries. And he just will sit. And he's got those cry. And you, I am not ashamed to say it, Thomas. I, I had tears yeah. watching that because I'm like, wow, that's all he's got. And I, you know, I equated to like, hey, that's his, that's his dog. That's you know, man's best friend for him. Wilson was that dog. It was that everything. And for it to just happen like that, and you. And I'm like, man, this is crazy because throughout the movie, you're like, this is weird. He's got a volleyball as his best friend. (laughs) And I think that's the genius of it. You're kind of like laughing or being like, even I think at best, you're kind of like, I understand it. What else? And he's kind of, you know, you went through that traumatic thing, but still it's a volleyball. But then toward at the end, you want to cry right along with him when Wilson floats away. So those two scenes really hit me. And I mean, as far as having a volleyball for a best friend, if I'm in, if I'm in that situation, would, would I have a best friend inanimate object? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Anything to, to keep, keep my mind same. occupied, keep it. So that's like, I guess on the surface, it's a little silly, but it makes complete sense. Of course, I'm going to have some sort of best friend, whether it's just like a jar of sand or, or yeah. like a coconut, something. Like, I don't know if you've seen uh, The Last Man on Earth, Will, yes. uh, Will, Will Forte show. He makes, yes. yeah, there's a good commentary on this. So he's watching Castaway at the beginning of the series and he's scoffing at the idea of Wilson about how weird it is to have uh, volleyball as a best friend. And then you flash forward maybe two episodes later and he's the last man on earth. There's, I think at that point, one other person is there. Um, but flash forward two episodes later and he's in an empty bar with like 15 different sports balls situated around the bar and he's talking to all 15 of them. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not just yeah. one volleyball. It's like 15 to 20 of these balls situated around the bar and he's just having full on conversation. So he ends up understanding uh, what it was like and yes he's gonna befriend a ball so I, I just thought yeah that relationship with like with a volleyball was like it really was uh it really did did hit me it tug me tug at my heartstrings absolutely and i think that's the brilliance of tom hanks and that shows like we we said it earlier he has likability but he's he's a great actor first and foremost that's not easy to do like the level the degree of difficulty and carrying that by physically, emotionally, mentally to play that part. You know, he went through big body changes, you know, to get ready for that role. He should have definitely won best actor for this. Yeah, definitely. And just, just, uh, this isn't a scene, but it's a string of scenes, like just pretty much anything, honestly, on the Island, as far as like, we see the birth of Wilson or we see him opening the packages. We see the birth of Wilson, that tooth extraction. Oh my gosh. Mm. That's like, so that that's tough to watch, and then we see like four years later how how he settled into being on the island, and how that's just his life now. Him doing getting making the raft and getting off the island. So just anything that whole sequence, just of course, you know the meat of the movie, him on the island. Just go watch any of that 
but yeah, we're doing our five essential Tom Hanks movies. Number one, Big. That was Jeremy's choice and my choice, Castaway. So unless you have anything else, Jeremy, to say about Castaway, I'm curious about what you're going to pick for number three. Number three to me is the essential Tom Hanks movie. I have to say it. When I was bringing up earlier about knowing things in pop culture about Tom Hanks before seeing the actual movie, this was the first thing that came to mind because this is how I remember really hearing him. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And I think uh, you got to put Forrest Gump, you know, on this list as essential. And I feel like as, you know, it'll be 30 years in 2024 since Forrest Gump came out. And it's one of those, it's an iconic film, an iconic role. And a lot of, there's a lot of dialogue, a lot of conversation about, you know, how the movie holds up today. I, I think that people are a little too cynical with it. I do, but I love the movie Forrest Gump, like, personally. But I think taking all that aside, is it's essential. Um, he wins his second Oscar, you know, becomes the first, only the second actor and the first one since Spencer Tracy, 60 year, almost like 60 years earlier to go win back-to-back Oscars. Forrest Gump was the second of the back-to-back. And just so many lines, so many scenes that you can quote, I have gone to dinner parties where we sat around the table or we're just in the, the living room and everyone's just saying different lines in that, you know, Forrest Gump accent. And we all can just name different things. You know, to the Dan, ice cream, ice cream to the Dan, <laughs> ice cream. There's my boat. You know, so it's like that. you know, there's so many lines in that. I got to find Bubba. Like you could just go on and on with like just the quotes and talk about the heart. Like you like, and I'll keep going back to that because you nailed it. If I think of Tom Hanks, and if I could give one word to describe him as a performer in his movies, it's the heart. And I don't know, if there's a movie that has more heart than Forrest Gump. And uh, I think the scene, if there is a scene that defines Tom Hanks, I believe is toward the end of Forrest Gump when he find he sees Jenny and finds out that little Forrest is his son. And the emotion he shows, mm-hmm. and when he asks, but is is he smart? He's very smart. He's one of the smartest in his class. It just hits you because I think throughout the whole movie, you don't know that Forrest knows that he has disability, mm-hmm. and the fact that he says that shows like, wow, Forrest understood even more than what we knew. And it makes you evaluate the whole movie you just watched, honestly, in a different way. And I think that scene is so powerful and touches on just so many heartstrings. So to me, I got to put Forrest Gump on this list. Yeah, that's a moment in that movie when he acknowledges that he has the disability that, that not a lot of people talk about when they bring up Forrest Gump. And it oftentimes escapes me too that, yeah, Forrest did acknowledge to Jenny in this super vulnerable moment that he acknowledged what he is or what, you know, or what, what like society sees in him or, uh, and he, he's almost like a relieved maybe that Jenny said like, no, he's Forrest, he's smart or he's, which is you know, so sad, you know, yeah, it's so sad. sad yeah. You know. Yeah. So per the rules of this podcast, I have a veto 
right? Since you're yes. the host, you have three choices yes. and I have two yes. choices. I have a veto, right? Yes. Okay. I like Hanks in this movie more than I like the movie itself. Okay. However, this is possibly Tom Hanks' career-defining performance. And he's great in this. And I still like the movie. I think the movie's still good. And it's, right. you know, I'm not going to use my veto on this. Like, this oh, is, you this set is me like, up good. <laughs> this is like... <laughs> Man, you set me up good. I was like, whoa, you're going to veto this. I like this. to see Jeremy squirm a little bit. Oh, I, I was squirming. Yeah. Wow. You know, like, Thomas, how could you not know? Yeah, no, uh, this, this is a great choice. I mean, this is a career-defining performance. I know he had already won an Oscar prior to this, but he deserved a second one. For this, he was up against Morgan Freeman in Shawshank Redemption, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, Paul Newman. Like it was, it was a stacked kind of bunch that uh, Hanks was going up against, and he definitely deserved this. And I, I think the movie's good. I think it's, I think it, it gets criticized for being just like a pop culture montage with like a great soundtrack and appealing, appealing to people's love of nostalgia, which is all true. But it's it's a very also a very entertaining movie to watch, mm-hmm. and Tom Hanks is just awesome in this. And I think he's he's like thinking about his performance in Forrest Gump. I think it's almost like he's a good comedic straight man in most of the movie. He's so earnest, but the people around him don't take him seriously. So that's almost like a in in a way like possibly like a straight man or some just a type of comedian who says things earnestly and. Other people around them deem those things as ridiculous, but he's, in his mind, this all makes sense. And what I'm saying and doing makes sense. Like with the whole montage of him running across country, it made complete sense to Forrest. He's saying, I just felt like running because that's what he did. He just felt like running. So in his mind, running across the country was the logical extension to him feeling like he just wanted to run. But other people were like, I can't believe this guy is running across the country. What the hell is wrong with him? And you see mm-hmm. that throughout the movie. So it's almost like Hanks has to play a somewhat comedic role so earnestly. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I'm sorry because I know there's like a name of a genre for it, but it's mm-hmm. that it's that fish out of water where it's like the, the outsider comes to the town and it's like, oh, he's different or she's different. I feel like that's what he's like nailing. But he's not really an outsider. It's his town. That's what makes it different. Like, you know, he's, you know, Greenbow, Alabama. So, like, he's from there, but everyone just knows him and looks at him differently. And I think that is, like, it's weird because, like, obviously, like you said, he goes through so many different historical moments and pop culture. And it is. Now, there are people like that, though, who's like, man, how are you just here? Like, I have seen people in reality, like, they're just right place, right time for mm-hmm. a lot of, like, cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and then people but, say they're the Forrest Gump of that thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a term. You're right. Uh-huh. You're right. But I think it has something there where I think a lot of times we underestimate people. We do that as a society too often. So a lot of times Forrest was able to be there because people underestimated him. But also I think even though people judge and it's wrong in our society, people look down or, oh, you're different. But what Forrest gave you was no matter who you were, he made you feel loved. It made you feel respected. He made you feel safe. And I think we all want that. So those people in who you see in his life and in those moments, even if at first they were like, what's up with him? They took him in because 
you could be yourself with them. You look at the Jenny or Lieutenant Dan, people who were broken, but could really feel safe and vulnerable with Forrest. And I think we all look for that when it comes to like relationships. Yeah, you'd mentioned that Forrest making people feel safe and loved. I think that was depicted well in one of my favorite sequences of the movie in, in someone who was his counterpart. Forrest's counterpart, Bubba. You ever been on a real shrimp boat? No. But I've been on a real big boat. I'm talking about a shrimp catching boat. I've been working on shrimp boats all my life. I started out on my uncle's boat. That's my mama's brother. When I was about maybe nine. I was just looking into buying a boat of my own and got drafted. My given name is Benjamin Buford Blue. People call me Bubba. It's like one of them old redneck boys. Can you believe that? My name's Forrest Gump. People call me Forrest Gump. He made Bubba feel accepted and vice versa. Even maybe they didn't acknowledge verbally that's what it was. That's how it played out on screen is that they were making each other feel accepted. Because you get the impression that maybe where Bubba's from, he was almost like the forest of his exactly. town. Exactly. Right? And, and Forrest was the Bubba of Greenbow, Alabama. And it was just these two kindred spirits, really, that came together in boot camp. So just to see that bond forge with Forrest and Bubba at boot camp all the way up until Forrest saves everyone in battle Mm -hmm. is just like, I think it's such a cool sequence. And it shows, it gets to a lot of what you were talking about as far as like the heart of the movie. And the fact that he made a promise to Bubba. So obviously, you know, Bubba dies in Vietnam, but they said they'd be, you know, shrimp boat partners and since Bubba's gone he'll be the captain if you know he's not gonna be the first mate anymore and even Bubba's family in the beginning is like are you stupid or just playing crazy like no one would have held it against Forrest if he didn't go on with the plan of you know getting his own shrimping boat but it comes down to something so basic and simple he made a promise to Bubba his best friend and no matter what even though Bubba's gone I'm gonna go see it through and that's something like, man, we all, you know, we want a road dog like that. Like, right. he's your best friend, even, you know, after death, that he's got your back. And the fact that once they hit it big, and I think in the movie, he says, even though Lieutenant Dan said I was crazy, I had to give Bubba's family his share. And then like the, I, guess, I don't know if it's Bubba's mom or whoever, she gets to check and then passes out <laughs> and then she didn't have to work anymore. And like, that's awesome. Like, not only did he go on with the vision, but guess what? I wouldn't be here without Bubba. So guess what? Whatever I get, we, Bubba and I said right down the middle, Bubba's going. His family's getting it right down the middle. Yeah, he changed lives. He changed generations of families right there uh, with, mm-hmm. with Bubba's family. Yeah, that's this is a really good choice, Jeremy. And even though even though the, the movie doesn't resonate as well with me as maybe it did uh, almost 30 years ago, uh, I think it probably has to be considered one of Hank's essential movies. Yeah, yeah. Any byline about Tom Hanks, you know, you're, you're going to have to open it up with Forrest Gump, whether you like it or... And I can understand because it won, it dominated the Oscars that year. And that year, there's so many great movies, you know. And I think if people could go back in time, it wouldn't win Best Picture like it did and all those things. But I think what they got right was for, you know, Tom Hanks winning Best Actor. You know, you can look at Shawshank Redemption or Pulp Fiction. Should they have gotten Best Picture? I think both of those are better movies. 
But I think for best actor, that one they nailed. And so I think that's what kind of what hurts Forrest Gump in people's minds now. It's like, oh man, against a sexier pick like Pulp Fiction or you know the dramatic film like Shawshank, how did that win best picture? And I feel like you definitely can make that argument, but I you don't hold it against Forrest Gump. Yeah, ultimately I agree. I definitely, I definitely agree. It suffers by um, by comparison to two other yeah. movies, and that's not the movie's fault, really. Right, right, right. Okay, you had me scared there for the veto. <laughs> so we have big. I pick big. You put on Castaway. We got Forrest Gump. So we have uh, one each left, and you still have your your veto. So um, number four, Thomas. All right, and Jeremy, you actually did me a couple of favors because big and Forrest Gump were on the list that I had whittled down. So I was hoping that like the seas would part and it would make my decision for my, for the fourth movie, my second choice, but our fourth overall, it made it a lot easier. So this movie is one of just one of my all time personal favorites. I was thinking about leaving it off actually, because I thought maybe Tom Hanks wasn't in the movie enough. But he was such a freight train in this movie. He had such memorable moments and such a huge imprint on the movie that I think it was hard for me. I could justify thinking that this was one of his essentials. It has some of the most iconic quotes in movie history, not even Tom Hanks history. Some of the most iconic quotes in movie history. You're saying true because you know what I'm about to pick. (laughs) And, of course, it's another Penny Marshall. So So real quick, we have two Robert Zemeckis movies. And Big is a Penny Marshall movie. My number four, my choice here is another Penny Marshall movie. Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. It's a league of their own from 1992. And Hanks, I mean, I think he and Gina Davis are probably the faces of this movie. Maybe then Madonna. Mm -hmm. But as far as who kind of carried the movie narratively... It was Hanks and Gina Davis, probably, and I apologize for, for uh, not having your name right in front of me, I, I, I forget, Kit, um, who played Gina Davis's sister, Kit. Uh, yeah, I know who you're talking uh, about. So the, the fact that I'm forgetting her name kind of fits with the theme of the movie a little bit anyway. It's, it's, <laughs> it's Dottie and, and her sister, and her, our other daughter, Dottie's sister. Yeah, so uh, yeah. <laughs> apologies uh, for forgetting her name, but... But I think Hanks is in this movie, in A League of Their Own, enough and makes such an imprint on it. And it's, it had me and my my friend Scott, he and I quote quote some of Jimmy Dugan's lines often to this day. And I think in this movie, well, first, like back then, because I, I saw it. When this came out, I was nine going on ten. I was already a big baseball fan. I wanted to see any baseball movie. I think my mom took me to see A League of Their Own in the theater. And back then, I thought it was a funny baseball movie. That was just kind of how I processed it. And all through like most of my 20s, I was like, oh, this is a hilarious movie. I know, and, I, and I got some of the heart in it, but I always thought that it was just like a cute, funny, highly rewatchable baseball movie. Now, I think it's a cute, funny, high re- highly rewatchable baseball movie that makes me cry. it really does at the end the last time i watched it was was last year in full the last time i watched it was last year and at the end when they're older and they're at Mm -hmm. the the reunion at the hall of fame and the music starts playing it's i think it's madonna's this used to be uh, our playground 
and just watching them interact with each other as older ladies. And they're obviously reminiscing and hearkening back to something. I, I, I like teared up. I like kind of lost it. I, I told my, my friend Carrie, who's a huge fan of this movie, I sent her a text and I'm like, I, I just cried for the first time in a league of their own. Does that mean I'm getting older? Whatever. And she's <laughs> like, kind of, yeah. Like you just have more experiences that you're drawing from that you're able to relate to. So I find myself, you had mentioned, Jeremy, that like, do you, as you, as you get older, do you cry at more things like movies and yeah, stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it, sometimes it's actual like tears, but then you definitely feel more and you have more of an appreciation and understanding when you get older. And I think, you know, like, you, you know, we say you go through more life experiences or you have a better grasp of, even if you can't relate, you know, you you still can even as you get older, you understand someone else's struggles or what they had to go through or that feeling, you know what I mean? Like even better. So I yeah. definitely find myself more emotional or being sitting there going like, wow, I never thought about this. And it can be things that you know at the back of your hand, whether and that's you know, one of the things about this too, like with doing pop culture five, whether it's a song, a TV show, uh, a movie it's like, oh, you know all these things, but then when you get older and you're like, you sit there, it's like sometimes you don't know why. I've seen this 50 times, but the 51st time it just hits me in a different way and it, it clicks in a much different way. So this movie definitely has that for me too. Yeah, that's what happened to me when I watched A League of Their Own last year and it just strikes such an emotional chord. And I think Tom Hanks' as Jimmy Dugan plays a huge part in that. And this character, Jimmy Dugan, it was loosely based on Jimmy Fox and Hack Wilson. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy Fox was the Hall of Fame slugger in the uh, in the 20s and 30s, basically, early 40s a little bit. But he ended up managing the Fort Wayne Daisies in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. They lost to the Rockford Peaches in real life in the playoffs. Right. But Jimmy Fox was the manager there. Hack Wilson was a star for the Cubs who had alcohol issues. So he was this Cub slugger. He's in the Hall of Fame. You could argue that that he didn't get the most of that out of his career because he did have alcohol issues. So it was kind of a composite of Jimmy Fox and Hack Wilson. But I think you can basically use Jimmy Dugan to track the emotional arc of the entire movie, honestly. Like, follow him, just his character. He went from not caring and always drunk mm-hmm. to slowly starting to care he was caring more about his work as manager, but also about the girls, also about his players. So you can see him ramping up to, I don't give a crap. I just have to wave my little cap and make everybody happy and then go back in the dugout and like scratch my nuts for five hours or two yeah, yeah. hours. But like he went from just doing the bare minimum drunk to just like he was caring. He started He started showing his heart. He started working with the team, even if it was maybe in a rough kind of way, like rough right, language, right. but but that showed that he actually cared and he wanted to coach them. And he, he, you could just see that narrative arc, that emotional arc throughout the movie. You can see it manifest through Jimmy Dugan. I mean, the other characters had really good emotional arcs, but I think this one was a little more drastic, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and I, and I, I think it, it you did me a favor because this was a tough one on my so i i was like i think you'll you'll help me with this so this is the first time you kind of did me that favor because a league of their own was like 
It's right there. It's tight. And I think only because he's not, he's memorable. And like, like you said, when you think of the movie, it's Gina Davis, him and, and Madonna, but he's not like the lead guy. Like, and I think a lot of the other movies we're talking about. So I think that's where I'm like, ah, but it is such a memorable part. I don't, I think we hadn't seen him play parts like that either where, and I think that goes to his heart and lovability where he is, especially he's like, he's like a, he's a gruff. He's like a jerk kind of. He's a curmudgeon. Yeah. You kind of like, you're not supposed to like him, but you do wind up liking him anyway. And he cracks you up. And I think he kind of gives that, that you feel with him and you feel a lot of the, the, the women who are on the team, they didn't really get a chance to live out their dreams for different reasons, you know, for sexism and bias for a lot of the ladies. But for him, it was, you know, being a drunk and his career's over and he's kind of lost. And I think what he shows in what you said, where his arc, where he's like, he doesn't care to where he starts to care is the beauty of sports, the beauty of community, the beauty of togetherness, honestly, which is like, guess what? That's what this does. It brings people together Everyone should have a right or an opportunity to play. And hey, guess what? These are ball these women are ball players. It's not like, oh, they're lady ball players or they're the lesser ball. No, they're just ball players. And I'm gonna have their backs and these ladies can play. They're great. And you know what? I'm gonna support them. And he had to come around just like the public did, but then being like, Hey, these are ball players and we need to give them a chance. And I think that's what one of the key, one of the many themes throughout the movie, but for me, one of the big themes in that movie, seeing it through uh, his character, was that coming around and being accepting and also, hey, finding a second act in life. Yeah, and at first, that care and coming around manifested itself as a, as a kind of a toxic learned behavior from him. He learned this from Rogers Hornsby, as yeah. he said, as far as wanting to tell his player that you missed the cutoff person, but not quite knowing how to express that without using anger. And it made for a great scene and a classic line. There's no crying in baseball. We all know that scene. We all know that line. Uh, It's etched in everybody's memory, uh, sports fans' memory to this day. But, I mean, that's Jimmy Dugan wanting to care and wanting to be helpful, but he doesn't quite have the tools to know how to put empathy or understanding in there he just knows anger and that's what you know that's that's how it came out and then at the end he's telling that player you know we have the same issue still missing the cutoff man that's something that i would like you to work on before next season all right thanks Thank you, Mr. Dugan. He's bottling it up because he's yeah. he's like tremoring, he's like shaking, but you can tell <laughs> he he's consciously trying not to uh, not to lash out at her, and it's just like it's Evelyn, yeah. So he's 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 consciously just not trying to lash out totally at Evelyn, and you see that growth in that pent up like I'm holding in my anger. That is growth for Jimmy Dugan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I got a question for you, Thomas, sure. uh, because like you said, some classic lines in movie history and Tom Hanks has a few big ones. What do you think is the more famous movie quote 
Life's like a box of chocolates, Forrest Gump, or there's no crying in baseball, a league of their own. Mm, I, I see what you're doing, and I don't like it. <laughs> it's life, life is like a box of chocolates is probably the more famous, iconic one. Okay. Because okay. I think no, there's no crying in baseball kind of resonates within maybe mostly the sports community. But I, I think feel like it grew up. It, it, it did. It, it, it kind of more it kind than of started that permeating. Yeah, but yeah. I think life is like a box of chocolates. Is just like, and just the amount of people who saw Forrest Gump and know Forrest Gump. I mean, that's that's the iconic line, right there. Probably from a League of Their Own. I think it's uh, no. There's no crying in baseball. A lot of sporting events and venues also use when Tom Hanks is yelling, "We're gonna win." We're gonna win. We're gonna win. Before he hits Stillwell with his glove, <laughs> right, right, he yells, "We're gonna win!" When he finds out Dottie came back, and I know uh, a lot of venues use that clip to pump up the crowd, yeah. uh, so that's kind of permeated. But yeah, I mean, life is like a box of chocolates. Your winner, there's no crying in baseball, though. Spunky second place, probably as far as mm-hmm. Tom Hanks quotes go, and I think, gosh, another one that that. Uh, my friend and I, my buddy Scott and I used to quote all the time was when Walter Harvey was recruiting Jimmy to be the manager of the Peaches. Mm-hmm. And and they had that exchange. He said, like, you know, I hurt my knee. You fell out of a hotel. That's how you hurt it. There was a fire. Which you started, which I had to pay for. Oh, no, I was going to send you a thank you card, Mr. Harvey, but I wasn't allowed anything sharp to write with. That whole exchange with Gary Marshall was hilarious. I mean, even when... Gosh, even when he does a lot of dramatic acting, you could still see that comedian in mm-hmm. him just waiting to come out. I think I think that's the beauty of his performances because I think that's the reality of it. But I think a lot of times if you see real situations, whether on purpose or not, people say funny stuff even in serious times. Yeah. You know, things can happen. I think that's a key to his genius, which is he kind of knows when the right time where even if it's serious, he can make you laugh and it doesn't take away from the seriousness of the moment or the, of the film, but it's like, it's that relatability, you know, that we all can have to it. Cause I think no person is all serious or all humor. Right. And he does a great job of giving us that balance. Yeah. He's so good at that. Are there any, uh, other scenes that you want to, that you want to highlight from this movie? Uh, to me, I guess the opening when, when John Lovitz is going around recruiting and on tour, that whole sequence is just hilarious to me. And I, I, I think John Lovitz did a brilliant, you know, we're both SNL guys who love it, but John Lovitz was, he was so hilarious in that part. And I will say just the back and forth. So I'm not going to give you one exact scene with this, but the, the back and forth dialogue between Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell mm-hmm. And how they complemented each other, I thought was just they were great at supporting characters and and to me really showed like Madonna's range. Like we know her as this pop icon as a singer, but she can act too. And she was really, really good in that movie. Yeah, that I mean that that speaks to a lot of I mean that this uh, movie was littered with such great performances by Rosie O'Donnell. Gina Davis, my apologies to Lori Petty. Yes. Who I was trying to who I was trying to shout out earlier. Lori Petty, who played Kit. Uh, she was really good in that. You had Ann Cusack, who's uh John and uh Joan's sister playing Shirley Baker. There's just all all these like really ni- nice supporting roles 
in this movie. Uh, one that that always made always always made me laugh was the the first time they met Jimmy and he walked in drunk and he was peeing and May uh, started timing him. And, yeah, yes, that's and crazy. Rosie O'Donnell's like, "How long?" and 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 uh, Madonna's like, "Hey, just hold on one second, hold on." And he kind of <laughs> stops, but then keeps going. And Rosie, you could just hear her say, "Oh, that counts." Like, yeah, yeah, just yeah. little. That's a great scene. Yeah, just little things. That's such a great scene. Hanks plays drunk pretty well. He plays a drunk curmudgeon really well. But I think if we're getting it to the like the heart of the movie, there's a scene on the bus when Jimmy and Dottie are uh, bonding. They're talking about their personal lives, their family. Dottie's asking Jimmy why not why he's not serving, and he had to tell him I don't have any cartilage in my knee. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy's asking Dottie about her marriage. Like they're really like getting to know each other on a personal level. I think that scene on the bus between between the two of them is is really crucial. And Gina Davis and Tom Hanks play that really well. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a uh, this is tough because this yep. is the the fifth one I'm going to go for because everyone Thomas still has that veto, and I I think I I wouldn't be surprised if he uses it. Oh, but I'm going to go with my honest opinion of what I think is this fifth essential one. And there's a few good choices, honestly, that you could still pick from. But for me, number five, if I'm honest, Buzz, ha. You're alive! This is great! Oh! I'm saved! I'm saved! And he'll find you here! He'll take us back to the room, and then you can tell everyone that this was all just a big mistake. Huh? Right? Buddy? I'm gonna go with Toy Story. Oh, interesting. And I know, I, I keep it not, you don't have to put the series. We can go with just the original Toy okay. Story. 1995. Toy Story. You yeah. know, what? and I think that movie... You talk about something that's iconic. Everyone knows Tom Hanks as Woody. Just like I think everyone knows Tim Allen was Buzz Lightyear. I was thinking about this. I'll take it back because I was going to say, did you? But no, I think Aladdin with Robin Williams for me was the first time, like, really knowing, oh, who the voice actor was and being like, oh, that's Robin Williams. So that was the first. But for me, Right after that, I know Lion King came out before Toy Story, but I still didn't quite know. I knew who James Earl Jones was Mufasa, but I didn't know all the people mm-hmm. like as a kid. But I knew, oh, that's Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. That's Woody and Buzz right away. And that was a big deal that those two guys did it. And I think how iconic Toy Story has been in the culture, how that movie changed animation history, movie history, it put Pixar on the map. Pixar is a household name now for a lot of people. You don't have that without Toy Story. And just that role, you can't see anyone else being Woody than Tom Hanks. And I think that's for me why I think some of the other movies, you can look at it and over time have been forgotten. Toy Story, and I know they've had three sequels after it, but there's a reason why they've had them is because they're a part of American culture, too. And I think that's something that won't really go away. So if I have to give the fifth essential, in my opinion, that I'm, we'll see if Thomas agrees with or not, I'm going to go with Toy Story. I, I just think that has to be on the list for essential Tom Hanks movies. Yeah, I think uh, cultural resonance is definitely one of the main arguments for Toy Story, for sure. And I'm I'm not going to use my veto on this. I don't think I would have picked it personally, mm-hmm. but I think it's a it's a good addition. And when we get to honorable mentions, I I, I'll, I have a, a few other ones that 
that I'll shout out as more honorable mentions, which I think people honestly would put Toy Story over two or all of my honorable mentions. <laughs> uh, so knowing that, knowing just how much it resonates with people, and it's a good movie. I really enjoy the movie. It has a lot of heart. It has a very easy to follow, very clean narrative, a very clean, relatable narrative. Mm-hmm. And about like, you know, it, it, I think I think Tom Hanks does a good job just with his voice inflection and acting of like maybe putting you in the position of like feeling discarded at certain moments in your life and the shiny new object replacing you in certain cases. Right, right. You know, and I think that vulnerability comes through really well. The only reason why I might take up some issue with it, small issue, is that mm-hmm. just he's not on screen. And that I think that's the only thing. It's just it's only his voice that's on and not not Hanks. Um, but you brought up a good example of something that could still be iconic, even if it's the person's voice, and that's Robin Williams as the genie yeah, in Aladdin. And I think enough people recognize this as Tom Hanks, recognize Woody as Tom Hanks, for it to be one of his essential films. And I think it shows actually a good range for him, like that he can do voice acting and it could resonate with people. So I actually think I'm talking myself into this more and more, Jeremy, because because I think like if we're if we're talking about essentials and not best, probably is essential to have a uh, an example of something unique like voice acting, right? And and something that is just it's everywhere and it's it's lasted the test of time and it sticks with everyone and people know those lines and like you said. The inflections, you, that, you know, as a young person, that was one of the first times really understanding, uh, feeling insecure, feeling threatened, feeling jealous, and seeing that on screen. And then, you know, we get to the later parts of the movie and him having the heart to heart with uh, Buzz and talking about being vulnerable and talking about that. That's what he felt. And hey, like, you know, he, that feeling guilty and feeling ashamed of himself for letting that get away from him. You know, letting that jealousy overtake him. And I think that was just great. And also, even in animation, to see, you could say Woody and Buzz are the main characters, but Woody being a main character, and for a lot of it, he's not likable, really. Like, But you still do like him, because that's how great, great Tom Hanks is. But he does a lot of things that mm-hmm. aren't really like the nicest things. He's not for showing his part. best self. Yeah. It's because he's hurt. He's jealous and he's hurt. So so he's not showing his best self. And is that not relatable? Yeah. Hey, everyone. RC's trying to say something. What is it, boy? He's saying that this was no accident. Huh? What do you mean? I mean, Humpty Dumpty was pushed. No. By Woody. What? Wait a minute. You... You don't think I meant to knock Buzz out the window, do you, Potato Head? That's Mr. Potato Head to you, you backstabbing murderer. Now, it was an accident, guys. Come on. Now, you you gotta believe me. Do you yeah. behave in certain ways because you feel that way, and then you end up regretting it? I'm like, man, like, that's not me. Or I think, mm-hmm. I hope that's not me, but I behaved in a way that I'm not proud of because of these circumstances. You try to justify it, but it's still there. Yeah. And, and you never, at least I feel... You never go throughout the movie being like, I hate Woody. Like, you still like him, but you disagree with him and you think he's wrong. But I'm never, even a young person to now, you don't like Woody. You, you relate to him. And you know he made mistakes, but you do relate. And part of that is also the how Tim Allen 
does a good job with buzz so you kind of can feel that because it's like that means nothing so i think that even goes even better because the person who's getting the the new attention that attention means nothing to them so then that person who's now threatened or jealous they get even more enraged because it's like they don't even care about it but they're getting the attention i care about it and i'm not getting it and i think that's just the beauty of it and i feel now with animation and and through you know marvel stuff and we know who the the voice actors for everything is i don't feel like that's how it always was and i feel like i said i'll give it to robin williams but i think tom hanks and tim allen and the success of toy story really also kind of helped pave that way where oh who are these voice actors in these movies yeah, I got a question for you about voice acting. So uh, some people are different. So uh, it doesn't take you out of the movie to know who the the actors are. Does it? Is it no, it doesn't. I mean, a lot of times, be you know, I know you're big. We're both big movie fans. So a lot of times, you can tell. You kind of have an unless they play like do a really unique voice, but you can kind of tell who they are. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take me out of the movie to okay. know it um but also when it comes unlike non-animated movies a voice actor in an animated movie doesn't sway me to go to one i'm not like oh um halle berry is the voice i gotta go now like i don't i don't go off of that either yeah i know some people who kind of they don't want to really know who the voice actor is my wife's that way like one of her favorite movies is ratatouille and I oh, think, okay. and then I just kind of pointed because Pat Oswalt was on TV or something. So I pointed out, I'm like, "Hey, honey, like, Pat, that's Pat Oswalt. He plays Remy. Uh, he's the mm-hmm. vo- he voices Remy in Ratatouille." And I almost kind kind of feel like she didn't totally say it, but I almost kind of feel like like I kind of ruined a little bit of magic for her nah, <laughs> in some uh, ways. Yeah. So now she knows who voiced Remy, even though obviously she's an adult. She knows that actors voice these characters, but I can just kind of feel like it was maybe something that she wanted to hold on to not knowing who voiced I, Remy. So I almost kind of felt a little bad it, about yeah. that. I, I understand that. I really do. I I think uh, voice acting is such a unique talent and skill that um, it gives me more props. Like, I, I give the actors more props when they can nail it. And, mm-hmm. I, and I'm maybe that's just how I'm wired. I like to know the behind-the-scenes stuff. So I, I like to know who was the voice actor, who wrote this, who directed it. That's just me. I like to deep dive, but I totally understand where your wife's coming from with that. Yeah, no, I I, I definitely understand too. And I kind of pick and choose my spots going forward <laughs> about what I point out and what I don't. So, and, and it has to be said that Toy Story is just an iconic groundbreaking film as far as animation and, and, and everything like that goes. So it, it is a, it is a wonderful movie and I haven't revisited it in a few years, handful of years. Maybe it's time to do so. Yeah, it's worth it. I, I have my, uh, my seven-year-old niece, so that that's giving me the easy uh, excuse. But I love it so much. I'll be on. This is one like this is a favorite of mine. But I I take that bias out. I do believe it needs to make the the top five essentials for Tom Hanks. Yeah, so I agree. So uh, I think we have ourselves a uh, list of uh, Tom Hanks uh, five essential movies. Uh, Jeremy, uh, why don't you go ahead and recap that? So we have Big, Castaway. Forrest Gump, A League of Their Own, and Toy Story as the five essential. So Thomas, since I, you know, this was, I had three. I want to hear what, what's your honorable mentions or just missed the cut for our essential list? 
Okay, I'm going to go chronologically. So this okay. is in no particular order. Um, you might laugh at a couple of them, but, you know, that's why <laughs> we all have our taste. So the first one I want to highlight is The Money Pit. That was from 1986. That was one of the first movies when I was a kid that made me uncontrollably laugh. And, it's a good movie. It is. Yeah, and I hadn't see, I haven't seen it to be honest with you in probably like ten years or so. Uh, it's it's a comedy from the eighties, so so it should always come with the caveat that I don't know how it aged. <laughs> <laughs> but I, that was that was the first truly funny movie that I saw when I was a kid that made me just laugh uncontrollably. And Home Alone, right right around that time too. Like those were the two movies for me. And especially when Tom Hanks, when the bathtub goes through the floor and then Tom Hanks looks at it and he, they've already been through so much and he just starts laughing like a maniac. That's his response to some, another thing that was just traumatic and awful for them is that he just laughs. I think I've kind of built that into how I try to respond to things as well, far as like not getting angry, not getting frustrated, not feeling sorry for myself. Sometimes when when something happens, especially if it's, if it's a series of things, I find myself kind of laughing. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Now this is happening. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah I, I know then, what you mean. Yeah, that's like a coping thing. It was a coping thing for him. But so the Money Pits won. And then Philadelphia, which he won his first Best Actor Oscar for. is a really emotional movie. Uh, he was really great. Denzel Washington, great in that movie, too. I've seen it a handful of times over the years. I saw it when it came out. I, I was that was probably too much too adult of a movie for me to see when I was like 11 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I saw it anyway, and right. uh, I, I I liked it. And maybe maybe I was an emotionally mature 11 year old because I liked Philadelphia. Uh, it reminds me of the SNL sketch where the kids are playing with the Philadelphia action figures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Philadelphia is one, and then. This one you're going to laugh at, and this one you probably would veto if I ever tried to bring it up. But it's the better version of Sleepless in Seattle. It's You've Got Mail, which came out in 98. That's honestly like my favorite, one of my favorite rom-coms. It might be my favorite rom-com. It's like utterly rewatchable. Maybe I had Stockholm Syndrome because it was always on HBO, but but just he and Meg Ryan are such a great duo on screen. And it, this to me, this is just like the better Sleepless in Seattle. I just really just blindly... No shame. L- love you, got mail. <laughs> well, let me. Well, okay. So I definitely would have vetoed Money Pit. Uh huh. If I, and could. I wouldn't have blamed you. So two points for what you. Uh, I have two points. Philadelphia was the toughest one for me. Okay. Like be like I left that off because I feel like if you talk about Tom Hanks, one of the first things you're going to say is he won back to back Oscars, and that's Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. But I feel like that's how Philadelphia is remembered. If people do remember it, mm-hmm. it's just like that's what he won the first Oscar for. I don't – and it, Philadelphia is a really good movie. It's really good. I don't feel like people really take in his – that's not like, oh, they know him. They know like his name. I think Andrew was his name in the movie. Yeah. 
thought people aren't like, oh, yeah, he was, remember he was Andrew, like, what, Beckworth or Beckett, whatever his name was. But people aren't saying that, I feel like. So that's kind of why Philadelphia, on the best, absolutely. But for Essential, I was, it was tough because I'm like, he did win the Oscar. But I feel like that's all people will, would really know about it is, unless you're a cinephile. And for You've Got Mail, Sleepless in Seattle was tough because I do, people did love that Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan duo, like their chemistry. But for You've Got Mail, are you really going to put that on an essential list or is this a well, Thomas favorite list? I think it's essential because of the genre. I think he did a few rom-coms. And I think that this was the best. It showed that he can be effective in a romantic comedy. So, but I, that's over Sleepless because that came out first. Sleepless in Sleepless Seattle. Seattle came out first. Yeah, actually, you know what? If if you're comparing this to Sleepless in Seattle, I, I suppose Sleepless, Sleepless in Seattle is more like iconic and essential. So I, I'm not, and maybe that's that's what I use the honorable mention is for. Yeah, <laughs> for, yeah. I mean, yeah. It probably I probably wouldn't have push come to shove. I probably wouldn't have chosen it as essential over Sleepless in Seattle. But I just had to say that I like You've Got Mail. Saving Private Ryan was tough, amazing movie, but I just don't think Hanks was in it enough. It was such an ensemble right. cast that that's what made me veer away from Saving Same. Private Ryan because I know some people who might be listening to this probably thought of saving private ryan but that's why i didn't um, necessarily no, put it on it's, it's weird because as far as the movie that's how i felt it's such a big cast you think of every you think of the the, the gore and everything more than tom hanks's performance now i think what the only argument i feel like could be made is saving private ryan led to that war phase and Tom, where you know band of brothers mm-hmm. and different documentaries that people I think did associate Tom Hanks with, but as far as the film, I totally agree. It's such a big ensemble and a great ensemble, but you don't think like, oh, Tom Hanks. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any on your honorable mentions? You really hit those. Um, the only one else was Splash. Okay. Because that's like the first like hit movie he was in. I didn't want to put that out there because. I feel like John Candy was more memorable and Daryl Hannah was more memorable than Tom Hanks. And I feel like if I look at Splash, it was a box office hit. But people, it, they weren't sold on Tom Hanks as like the guy yet. I feel like Big is what did that. And so that's why I was like, yeah, Big is more essential than Splash for me. But other than that, you nailed the ones that were that were like close but no cigar for me. Yeah, I agree about uh, Splash, too. And that was one where I watched a lot as a kid. It was always on. As as a young man who grew up with like HBO and stuff, like some right, of the, right. a lot of those movies from 83, 84 to like 1988 were always on HBO when I was a kid, mm-hmm. so I saw a lot of those. And I, th- I agree with you about Splash. And it wasn't until Big. I think we can establish Big, which came out in 88, as like the kind of start of hank says we kind of know him today as right. far as essentials go i think you hit the nail on the head with that and i think that's if you the peak tom hanks starts from big in 88 i feel like i'll go to Castaway in 2000 of like the peak of his career like so that's <laughs> why that's why i think both of them deserve to be on the list because of his peak run you can cap it off with those two movies 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, he was he was good in other things. Catch me if you can. Uh, he was even recently like I liked Asteroid City. I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. watching him in Asteroid City, but I think you're right. Like '88 to 2000 is where we have all of the all five of the essential Tom Hanks movies as chosen by us fall between 1988 and 2000. Kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's not to discredit his work in the last 23 years, which a lot, a lot of it I've enjoyed. But we're talking essentials and kind of, I guess, peak. 88 to 2000 makes complete sense. Yeah, because I think also you have to look at it when I think if you talk about biggest movie stars of the 90s, there's a Mount Rushmore, Tom Hanks, you can, he's up there, you know, with Julia Roberts. Like, I, I, I you know, I think he's, I honestly think of those two, of like movie stars of the 90s, is those two stick out for me. But, you know, Tom Hanks is up there. So, I, I, like you said, it makes sense that his essential films would be in that time frame. So we pat ourselves on the back. Think we did a good job? I think so, because it was harder than I thought, honestly. When I picked it, I thought it'd be great to talk about some fun movies, but for essentials, not favorite or best, just essential, I thought it would be easier. But this was much more mm-hmm. of a challenge, and I, I like the challenge. So, But I think I give ourselves a pat on the back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's fun, man. Talking about America's uncle. That was good stuff, Jeremy. Absolutely, man. So... uh we have maybe like a little preview of what's coming up next for uh, some people, I guess. Like we got, I know, like maybe a Simpsons episode, a little Seinfeld, a little Beatles. So I think we're going to have some in the ne- next few episodes, I think we're going to have some good topics for people. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to do a wide range, I'd say, of like this podcast is primarily going to cover movies, music, and television. But we might throw some wrinkles Every now and then, Jeremy and I have a lot of shared interests that maybe they're entertainment related, but they're they don't hundred percent fall into into one of those categories. We'll see. But this is just going to be us talking about uh, stuff we love in pop culture and trying Absolutely. to break it down from that perspective. No, for sure, for sure. And we love to hear from people and let us know what you think. If you think we were crazy for this list or any list. Or if you agree, or what are some of your favorite memories of of what we pick in any episode for uh for that essential, you know, those five essential things. So, Thomas, this was great though, man. I'm 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 glad we're doing this, and I can't wait to just deep dive into some more pop culture with you. Yeah, this will be good stuff. Thanks, Jeremy. Absolutely. So, for my tag team partner Thomas Senna, I'm Jeremy Dove. Thank you guys for listening to the Pop Culture Five. and such.